Welcome to the Universe in a Glass, the podcast where we trade drinks with friends and share the stories behind our favorite beverages. As always, we are joining you from the historic Line Hotel in the heart of Adams Morgan in Washington, D.C. Thrilled to be joined by Petar Georgiev and Radostin Milkov today, a pair of Bulgarian winemakers revealing the authenticity and beauty of their country's native varietals. Petar and Rado traveled the world in their youth, making wine everywhere from the United States to New Zealand to China. They returned to the Plovdiv region of central Bulgaria to launch their own label in 2014, working with older vineyards and non-interventionist winemaking techniques. Thank you for joining us, Petar and Rado. Thanks for having us, Bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pleasure. It's, pleasure. It's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, uh, excellent. Um, the premise here, blessedly simple. Today we're sharing a couple different uh, bottlings. Uh, from Georgiev and Milkov, a sprightly white wine from the varietal uh, Red Miscet, and a silky red from a grape called Reuben. We'll trade thoughts about what's in the glass, and then I'll read a bit of Bulgarian verse, naturally, uh, in uh, my guest's honor to close things out. If you like the sound of what we're drinking, both of these offerings will be available for sale uh, in their new vintages at Revelers Hour, Washington's premier wine and pasta bar dedicated uh, directly across the street from our Line Hotel studios. Uh, before we start tasting, gentlemen, uh, at this early hour, a few questions about your life in wine before uh, you became kind of critically claimed winemakers yourselves. Uh, did you both grow up in winemaking and wine drinking households? Uh, for me, the story is... And uh, identify yourself. Just for the sake, we have, we usually, this is a, uh, usually a one-on-one. Uh, we, have, we have two guests today, because uh, it's a dynamic winemaking <laughs> duo. Um, uh, first voice belongs to... Uh, Peter. So my story is kind of a... I haven't grown up in a oh, winemaking uh, family. So for me, I grew up in a neighborhood where everybody was playing football. I had really, really, or you call it soccer here. Uh, yes, yes, sadly we do, yes. Yeah, so, so uh, I grew up in that kind of a neighborhood, so in my head I was about to be a, a football player when uh, I grew what, up. Uh, what position? A midfielder. Okay. I was playing a holding midfielder. Oh, okay. That's, yeah, that's uh, so then, and, but at my last stage in my high school, I was about to uh, take uh, some decisions, so my mother was pushing me gently to enter some uh, university because and, uh, and I had to take the decision between to get into military service and to uh, become a student. So she was gently talking to me that uh, you could play your football, but you need to be educated as well. Okay, you could try to be the next Risto Storchkov, or you could try <laughs> yeah, to yeah. the so, next Krasimir so, Balakov, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, I just, she said, you could choose anything you want. Uh -huh. So, so for me, it was easy call because at that time the University of Food Technology in Plovdiv was uh, pretty close, ten minutes of walking. So I said, okay, it's easy. Uh, and when I see the the things that I, I could uh, study there, winemaking was pretty interesting. So. so you were you were literally looking at a course catalog, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah, exactly. That's, 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 that's I was great. just pointing this, and I said, okay, this is shit for me, so I'll take it. Uh, and then uh, slowly, slowly, I was getting some injuries, so I had to focus on my uh, on my studies. So, so uh, I, then I started to do some internships uh, in the beginning in Bulgaria, and 
the whole um, the whole adrenaline during the vintage was really works for me. It's kind I of really like it's kind of like a game. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And also winemaking is always a teamwork. Yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. it's it's not really. Uh, it's not a one man show. Yeah. So 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 the adrenaline and the whole whole thing behind the, the, the winemaking and the vintage was really working for me. And then really I was feeling really good. So uh then uh, I did some internships abroad. So so Austria did so two vintages there, then New Zealand two vintages there and when I came back to Bulgaria I began a pro I became a winemaker of another project, yeah. a team uh, of uh, uh, which I'm also till now a winemaker of this winery. And then we, at some point, I felt that I'm prepared enough, skilled enough that we, I, I wanted to work also with Bulgarian varieties. So I was happy that Rado was uh, the same page. So we we began our journey back in 2014. No, oh, brilliant. It, yeah. That's not, not an uncommon story for, you know, former soccer players, you know, to find, <laughs> you know, find a professional life in, 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 in wine. Um, although I feel like in France, it's a lot of former rugby players, uh, uh, you know, but it depends on where you are. You know, I feel like in the South, you know, it's, it's, it's ruggers, but uh, elsewhere, it could be soccer players. Uh, Rado, did you dream of being the next research Schwarzkopf growing up or what was your wow. kind of... Uh, your entry to wine, and, and just uh, get a little close to the mic there. Yeah, well, no, I didn't dream about being next Christos Tuchkov, but I'm very proud of him. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he actually played for Washington, D.C.'s soccer team for, for a bit uh, and coached here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do remember this at the final of his career, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, yeah, but um, basically I'm not uh, originated from Plovdiv region. Uh -huh. So I'm new uh, over there. I was born on the seaside. Oh, okay. Uh, in the on the Black Sea. On the Black Sea, yeah. On the Black Sea, the third biggest uh, town in Bulgaria. They, they make wine there as well, do they not? Yeah, they make wine there as well. So it's a really nice region for white wines. Yeah. And uh, my grandfather actually had his own uh, small vineyard uh, next to the sea. So we used to go with him and uh, my father and my brother at taking care of it and kind of trying making some wine. Mm -hmm. It was really amateur thing, but uh, we like it very much. I love it uh, to be in the nature, to have this hand, uh, this stemming called the crushing process. It was really interesting for me. Yeah. So when I was a teenager, I decided that uh, this is one of the things that could be really interesting to make in, mm -hmm. with my life because uh, by my background is biology, so most of my colleagues from the... Uh, from university? Not from university, but from the high school, yeah. they became like uh, doctors and oh, okay. vets, and, but it was not for me. Yeah. So um, I made a little research. I saw that in Plovdiv there is a University of Food Technologies and they have uh, that specific thing of uh, fermentation product technology. Oh, interesting. So I was just really focused on this and uh, then moved to Plovdiv. I, I go to this university, I moved to Plovdiv, make the, make the five years over there, make the master degree. 
and then start to working with a, for a distributor of analogical, analogical products. Uh -huh. So starting selling yeasts and enzymes and that kind of stuff. So made a great connection with all the colleagues uh, around the... So you got to travel through the country. Yeah, uh, around the, the country. Products. But yeah, it, it was not that much my thing by that time. So I decided that I want to travel a little bit and see how the things are done in the other wine countries. Mm -hmm. So back in 2009, I made an internship actually in uh, Washington State. Oh, interesting. I worked for Clark Sellers yeah. for one year. And uh, there was a French guy over there who was the head winemaker and who gave me the basically the whole uh, the whole profession in my hands. Okay. So he was putting me in the real action with yeah. uh, harvest and uh, distemming and crushing and all the kind that kind of uh, very hectic time. Yeah, and we was harvesting about 400 tons and we were only three guys over there. Yeah. So we were pretty busy, and uh, it was just a miracle to see how you create something from the beginning to the end, from the from yeah. the grapes. There, to there's this alchemy to it. Uh, Sorry, alchemy is uh, uh, in English the uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. conversion into gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I met that one year uh, here in the uh, in uh, Washington State. Then came back. Um, actually, from Washington State, I moved directly to Malta to make uh, uh -huh. a harvest over there. Uh, what Malta was, what is was Malta a, like? Malta is a uh, beautiful. It's a, no? Actually, it's an island in between yeah. Sicily and uh, Lebanon, mm -hmm. Libya, in the Mediterranean uh, Sea. So I was pretty surprised to understand that they have uh, some kind of wine industry and I was pretty lucky to found a job for the biggest winery over there yeah and they made like a 10 million I mean it's it's a huge factory it's a factory wine making yeah. there is nothing in common with uh, what we are with what we are making with Peter uh, it's a huge, uh, huge factory. They make like I, 10 I do million. Find sometimes it's, it's useful to have that perspective, though, you know, and, and it's a useful to get a sense of what you don't want to do before you, you know, make something your own. Yeah, actually, moving from a winery that makes uh, that that makes 400 tons to a winery that makes 10 million bottles a year, I get it pretty fast that this is not kind of the winery I want to work. Yeah. It's too big, it's, uh, the volumes are too big, so you cannot pay attention to everything. And I do believe that the most, actually the key in the winemaking is, is in the details. Mm -hmm. So you have to pay really attention on the small things to, to guide your process. Yeah, it's, it's throughout, the, throughout the season, there's these small marginal gains that you make. Um, and you know, hopefully those add up to something that's, you know, um, more delicious, more profound than it than it would be otherwise. Now, both of you went to university. Uh, both of you were born um, in Bulgaria under communist rule. Um, you were both then kind of part of the first generation to pursue post-communism to pursue viticulture in your in your region. And more or less, more or less, more or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The older generation they were working under communism. Yeah, uh, but. Um, I <laughs> Don't have uh, lots of memories at that time, but uh, my memories are that they were producing pretty um, lots of bulk wine. Yeah, uh, just uh, just not quality driven, but more quantity driven. Uh, they had a uh, the big uh, 
wine factories in Bulgaria. They had the, the market in Russia. Yeah. And so they were exporting r- lots of bulk wine at that time. Yeah, very much a quantity over quantity kind of par- quality kind of paradigm. And, and yeah. there, wa- there weren't as many opportunities um, to own vineyards independently uh, in an era where there are there. Yeah, there were not a lot of opportunities, but yeah, the, yeah at post-communism time, uh, so um, the, the 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 vineyards they were really spread the ownership between the 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 the, the independent guys yeah. who were uh, working there and who owns the land. So uh, lots of people at that time they were just abandoned the vineyards. So so there were small blocks that were that uh, they were growing, but uh, next block the guy is abandoning. So yeah. he's not interested to to grow uh, vines. So this was the big gap between the communism and well, the time now. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. Actually, during the communism, what they make is they accumulate the the land. Yeah. So they took the different parcels from each owner to the one big uh, cooperative. Uh, yeah. yeah. Cooperative. Yeah. So they plant, for example, like uh, big vineyards. And, and, and typically with a lot of international varietals. So they're working with Cabernet and Merlot or? Yeah, well, exactly. Not okay. only, but mainly, yes. Yeah. But as well, there is other uh, domestic varieties that, that are high yielded. Yeah. And uh, big berries, so uh, big berries, a lot of juice, high yielded to just give this volume that yeah. uh, needed to go to Russia, actually. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the challenge for the industry at that point um, under communism was producing a lot of wine. It wasn't necessarily producing premium wine, although there was, there was some. You know, the, I've read that uh, England ha- has been, you know, a significant market for Bulgarian wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and even under communism for premium uh, Bulgarian wine. But uh, you went from this economy that's devoted almost singularly to producing wine at volume for a single... Um, export market in Russia, and that just collapses overnight. And then on top of that, you know, you have this land distribution regime that's uh, trying to um, take state-owned land, take, you know, uh, communally-owned land, and and give it back to former owners um, uh, who, you know, as you said, uh, Pedro may may or may not be interested in working the mines at all. (laughs) So so you go from, you know, this massive state infrastructure of great growing and winemaking to you know, a fraction of, um, you know, what, um, of production um, uh, as, it, as it once was. So, so uh, we, basically we, uh, when we started our project in probably the second year or third year, uh, we realized that uh, at some point we are helping this kind of uh, uh, the, the guys who grows the grapes yeah. uh, because we were financing, financing them uh, by buying the, their grapes. Uh, so this was also a really, really mm, nice part from the whole project that we we've started because we were helping them. Uh, in Bulgaria, more and more, more or less, there are mm, sixty thousand hectares planted area. Uh-huh. So, but uh, the last, let's say, mm, five years, the the harvested area is like. 30,000 hectares, so it's half of the planted area. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is uh, this is the sad thing, yeah. and we need to work uh, towards uh, growing and harvesting more of that area, and to be uh, uh, be able to to 
cooperate with these people because otherwise it's uh, we are losing losing grapes, losing vineyards. Yeah, and you're working with um, some older vines uh, for the yeah. sake, of, sake yeah. of your project. Yes. Uh, yeah. Do you own vineyards yourselves, or are you working exclusively with um, local growers? No, we we don't own the vineyards. Actually, uh, back in 2014, once we started, uh, we were looking for vineyards to near around Plovdiv region to um, start work with them. Uh -huh. So um, we were traveling around the around the area and uh, found few of uh, private vineyards that might be we might be interested in it, interested in it in them. And we met the growers, so we talked with them, um, give it a try, actually. Uh, the first year, uh, we found the vineyard for the Mavrut and the Rubin. So this is how we started. We give it a try, and uh, actually, 2014 was not the best vintage. <laughs> yeah, probably was the, was the worst in last I 10 feel, years. Yeah. I feel like yeah. that's, that's kind of a good way to start, though. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. It's better Let's, to start that way and then use that as a baseline for, you know, this is the worst it's ever going to be. And then and, and exactly. every, everything is up exactly. from there. Yeah, exactly. If you have the greatest, if you start with the greatest vintage ever, then nothing ever lives up yeah, exactly. to uh, yeah. Yeah, that first yeah. time. Yeah, and in, the, in 2014, it was pouring rain. Uh, the, we were... It was pouring rain, the grapes were not in good condition at all, but we were uh, so enthusiastic, so probably we bought the grapes uh, and we throw like, let's say, between 10 and 15% because it was a bad quality and uh, yeah, we was so enthusiastic, just wanted to make this, this uh, done. But uh, yeah, about the vineyards, uh, these two vineyards, we found them. We established a really good connection with the, with the guys over there. And actually, since the beginning, we just increasing the volumes we are taking. So uh, they can rely on us, we can rely on them. And uh, yeah, this is how it works. And just to add a few, work, a few words about what Peter said, actually, it's uh, a good thing that we that we buy grapes at some point because we are helping the guys and we save the viticulture profession actually. Yeah, because you, not there all these guys has other other things to do. Yeah, Let's say, especially the jobs. Rubin, exactly. Especially yeah. the guy who takes care of the Rubin, he has a he has a job in the military, so yeah. it's a side thing. Yeah. And um, actually, recently his father, who was owner of the, the vineyard, uh, passed away, and he was taking care just because uh, he was taking care of the vineyard, the 2020 vintage, 2022 vintage, just because we are taking the grapes. That's so amazing. It's a really, it's really nice. So you're you're creating your own local economy, and you're kind of preserving a, a grape growing and viticultural heritage uh, in the <clears throat> in the region. Um, for those of you, for those kind of unfamiliar with. Um, this particular region of Bulgaria or Bulgaria at all, uh, having traveled, you know, how would you describe um, the region you're working in? So the wineries in Breti, uh, Brestovica, is it not? Yeah, uh, and, and um, you're kind of the Plovdiv uh, region in central Bulgaria. What is it? What's it like? And how would, is there another kind of international region you might compare it to as a, as a point of reference? I, I'm, I'm not sure that I could compare it to some international uh, region, but yeah, Prolif is really a nice place. Uh, so, so the main, basically, the winery is located in Plovdiv, mm -hmm. but we are working with three different vineyards. We are working with Brestovica, it's located one of the vineyards that we are getting the grapes for uh, 
for the rubin. So this is the main planted area of rubin, basically, because rubin is a cross between Nebbiolo and Syrah, uh, made late 40s in the Agricultural Institute in Pleven. And since then, the Plodiv uh, is the main area where the grapes are planted. There is also a small vineyard next to the Greece border. Okay. Uh, so so mm, around Plodiv, there are two mountains. So one of the mountains is Rodopi, which is uh, the, the vineyard of Robinis in the skirts of the mountain. So the, the grapes that we are getting from, uh, to, for our red misket, we are getting from, from village of Prolom, which is... Uh, in the skirts of old mountain, which split Bulgaria on two parts. This big mountain is the largest mountain in Bulgaria, split Bulgaria, and split the two wine regions, basically, mm -hmm. because by law, Bulgaria has two wine regions, Thresian Valley and Danube Plain. And uh, the, the, the grapes that we are getting for Mavrut is also uh, in, the, in uh, Rodopa Mountain. So all the vineyards, they have uh, elevation around 300 meter different type of soils so really really beautiful place to visit and to 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 see we also working uh, we also would like at some point to have our own vineyards but for sure we will look like to buy some some old vineyards and to either renew them or start uh, working directly yeah, it's ex expensive uh, yeah. To, to, to purchase your own <laughs> land. Um, for the uninitiated, so uh, you can imagine Bulgaria is a bit of a layer cake, viticulturally. So uh, if there are three layers, the top layer is uh, the Danubian plain. Uh, the Danube separates Bulgaria from uh, Romania um, to the north, and it flows um, east into, ultimately, uh, the Black Sea. Uh, the middle layer would be uh, mountainous, um, yeah. would be some of the mountains that you, you, uh, you reference. And then uh, the bottom layer of the cake would be the Thracian Valley, um, uh, which is closer to Greece. And, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and it is somewhat unsatisfying to only talk about those two <laughs> regions geographically because there's so much more going on uh, in, in Bulgaria. And, and, uh, and I, I imagine as the industry evolves in the modern era, people will get more specific uh, about how they uh, regionally uh, identify the wines, but you all um, are in kind of uh, a mountainous corner of the Thracian, yeah. the Thracian Valley. Yeah. Um, how did you decide to work with the local grapes as opposed to the grapes that are more marketable? So, you know, for an American consumer, you know, taking a chance on Bulgarian wine, you know, there, I imagine there's a temptation for a local grow, hey, we want to work with something they know. We want to work with Merlot or Cabernet. You went the other route. Uh, you went with Mavrud and yeah. Ruben. And we were um, when we when we began. Uh, basically, we we began to do experiments with the local varieties. But uh, at that time, uh, we were not thinking about this that this will be a a business project. So so we. You weren't worried about being commercially viable. Was, was yeah, <laughs> so our, our idea was just to experiment to, to, and to do some really good uh, wines. Uh -huh. And then uh, when we bottled the first uh, vintage, we had some tasting with, uh, with uh, our friends from the Horeca restaurant business, yeah. and they were happy with the results. And they said, you should do a label, and we should start showing the, the wines to a larger public. Uh, we decided this because uh, the Native varieties, they are pretty, uh, 
they're pretty interested, but not a lot of people are working with these varieties. So we wanted to give a focus of these uh, yeah. varieties, and to uh, and Bulgaria can't be kind of uh, interested to the world market uh, with the international varieties. Yeah. So so yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, and um, actually back in 2014 in Bulgaria nobody was really working with the local varieties. Uh -huh. uh, in 2013 actually Peter had uh, some experience with uh, Rubin in the other project, he, he is winemaker. And we were tasting some wines from Mavrut and Rubin and uh, we were, okay, we have a treasure, why, should we, why shouldn't we start developing it? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's... As well, actually, the Rubin and Mavrut are indigenous for that area around Plovdiv. Yeah. So it's um, it was not that it was hard, but it was not that hard to find a good old vineyard, and actually, we can get the grapes from closer mm -hmm. as we can. So it's good for the whole process. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, what do you like about this particular grape? So we're tasting a Rubin first. Fitz, um, are you? Um, mentioned that this is a cross of kind of strange bedfellows in, in Syrah yeah. and, and, and Nebbiolo, and it, it is unique to Bulgaria. It was a, a cross of those two grapes that was developed in this particular region. Yeah, this uh, is one of the, yeah, the, the main planted area. So Rubin, it's a kind of a really uh, tricky variety because the, um, the pH of the, of the grapes and the, when we do some sampling before harvest, there is pretty high pH. So uh, in, our, in our, our project since the beginning is learning by doing. Uh, I mean, we didn't have lots of experience with varieties, so we, ha we had our thoughts in, in, in our heads, but uh, no experience. So... Uh, at some point, we want to do all the all the wines completely natural. Mm -hmm. So, so Rubin was a tricky one because of its pH. It's yeah. high pH, and when you do spontaneous things, it's kind of a this uh, pH cr creates kind of an environment for the bad yeast and bad bacteria. So, so we needed to 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 get the experience to get to that point to start doing some some uh, some native things. So since 2021 vintage, we are doing uh, partly 15% spontaneously. Then uh, we 2022 is already 40% spontaneously. So we are going in that direction. It's good variety. I mean, people should taste the wines to see uh, to see how it's how the wines are looking at. <laughs> yeah, and just to add some uh, something about the Rubin. Yeah, Peter said that the pH of the grapes is relatively high. And it's uh, some. I want to share some experience from the last uh, from the last harvest. Actually, we we discovered that uh, the grape itself changed a lot um, during the post fermentation uh, maceration process. Oh yeah. Because if you keep it on, the, if you soak it for not too long, it stays really on the fruity side. It's really it's really red fruit. Really um, really nice and uh, let's say straight and easy mm -hmm. but if you soak it for a longer uh, for a longer let's say we did like uh, 10 days more soaking uh, on the 2020 at two vintage it really went more deep more powerful and uh, more complex yeah i feel like you're leaning more into the nebbiolo heritage uh, yeah exactly exactly, exactly. yeah yeah um, I, I love um your importer's uh, description of this one 
Uh, calls it an elegant red with deep ruby color, aromas of raspberry, dark chocolate, spices, vanilla, dark cherry. Somehow manages to be full-bodied and yet light, as if suspended in air. Um, <laughs> I think I think is a, a, a very a very worthwhile description of this wine. Um, we're currently serving it by the glass at uh, our restaurant, Tailcoat, and uh, it's it's a nice gateway drug to Bulgarian wine. Um, it does some of the things that. You know, Pinot Noir does in, in, you know, slightly warmer climates, but it has its own distinct identity, too. Um, uh, and, you know, the quality of fruit is very different than, than, than Pinot. And, you know, the acid is not as ripping uh, yeah. as, as it, as it yeah, can yeah. be on, on, on Pinot. And, um, you know, there, there is something, you know, kind of um, just inviting uh, about this particular wine that, uh, that I, really, I really enjoy. Um, and it's funny, you know, on a, on a winemaker side, you, you get very invested in you know, the chemistry of it, the biology of it, you know, so the, it's, it's a pain in the ass to work with because, you know, you worry about spoilage yeah. because it, it, it's not a higher acid grape and, uh, you know, because that pH is, you know, above a, a certain threshold, you know, it's a little more finicky to work with non as a, a kind of a non-interventionist winemaker. But, um, you know, I think it's exciting too to taste this, this wine vintage after vintage as you're experimenting with these different techniques and getting a sense of, of what works best um, uh, for the sake of it and to see the wine uh, kind of come into its own. Um, I'm, I'm struck in a lot of emerging regions how, you know, in, in one sense you are kind of, you're rediscovering things about, you know, these local grapes, but you're also inventing them, um, you know? So, because what is, if you go to... Um, you know, your grower's house, and you taste the wine that they made for their family, uh, typically what would their wine taste like? Would it taste like this, what we're drinking currently, or would it taste wildly different? That tasting quite quite different, yeah. actually, yeah. because uh, uh, they're getting more on the natural side. They're doing everything easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, everything easy. It's a home winemaking, but uh, it's a good experience also to taste this kind of a wines yeah. because uh, when you do taste, you, you're getting... Um, different view and you could get some parts of their winemaking and to in get to implement it into your uh your way of working mm -hmm. so which is good so we do taste lots of this kind of a uh, home winemaking but yeah. also we do taste some lots of syrah and lots of uh, um, piemonte lots of lange yeah, yeah. So, so so to 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 discover the two Father, the mother and the father of the variety, and also to to have a larger view of the development of this variety. Um, are there a number of other winemakers in the area working with this grape? This yeah. yeah, yeah, there. Uh, it's yeah. Let's say since since five years, there are lots of wineries, small ones that they are working with this type of variety, and also oh, really? Mavrut. Yeah, yeah, and uh, actually the past. Five years, uh, the plantation is going uh, bigger. Oh, that's so nice. A lot of small wineries plant the uh, Rubin, uh, not only in the Plodiv region, but in the New Plain as well. So it's uh, it will be interesting to see how it will um, develop all this. Uh, Are you this starting thing. to get some competition for the fruit that you work with? No, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Actually, that's, that's yeah. good. That's, that's that's not a bad thing. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keeps the prices down at the at the very least. Now, um, with a wine like this, what do people typically eat? Well, I would say some kind of steak. Steak? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's also yeah some some lamb, 
and it really goes well with the chicken. Sometimes it could go well with the fish. I was so. I was trying to bone up on like my Bulgarian cuisine. It felt like a lot of like hearty meat stews, um, uh, and in a lot of the, the central regions. Uh, is there like a national dish, um, or, or like a traditional regional dish in, in this area that um, you know people would trot out and try their wines against? In my opinion, uh, Bulgaria is uh, influenced by the whole Balkan Peninsula. So, yeah. so in the whole, we should talk about the Bulgaria as a, the whole place there because we are influenced by the uh, Greece, by the Turkish, and yeah. also Serbian because we have lots of barbecue meats and stuff. Mm -hmm. So the whole area got really common dishes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any favorite pairings with this particular wine, be it Bulgarian or otherwise? Well, not sure about it, but what I was thinking while you asked me about uh, what we will pair with, actually it, will, it can pair very well with the duck you serve in the Rebel's Hour. Oh, great. Uh, so like <laughs> pastas and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this is uh, our second restaurant, um, which is a, a wine and pasta bar. And it is, it is a great pasta wine. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, yeah, and I, I think it's it's a, just a great gastronomic food wine um, uh, because you know it does have, in spite of being a grape that uh, occasionally at different points in the winemaking process, um, you know, has a higher pH and, and and is lower acid. It's still bright and uh, uplifting in a way that wants to go with food and texturally, it does have that like velvety um, sort of quality um, that's um, you know quite luxuriant and and I think. Um, equally um, lends itself well to a variety of different applications in terms of, you know, um, what you'd want to serve beside it on a table. Uh, we also have a red musket. Uh, so uh, you say musket chervin. Uh, I hope I... Uh, yeah, uh, chervin musket. Chervin, chervin. It's, it's chervin, the name yeah. of the um, Bulgarian pronouncing of the other... And this is a newer... Um, so this wine, you've, we have the, I think we have the first vintage of this, 2020. Uh, yeah, the first actually, vintage is 2019. Oh, 2019. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. actually, we started with uh, 2019. Yeah. Uh, we was seeking uh, for something white in our portfolio. Yeah. And uh, actually, the uh, the red. By that time, we were working in a in a cellar. Uh, we're renting some space, and we ma we are making the wines over there. And uh, we was talking about uh, with the employees over there that can they recommend something which is nearby as a vineyard. So um, they said, okay, there is a one vineyard which is few kilometers away uh, with the red misket, and uh, it's native again for Bulgaria. So we decided to go and see the vineyard, and um, actually it's a pretty nice place over there. It's a 55-year-old vineyard, oh, so wow. it's pretty, uh, pretty old one. Um, and under under communism, people were kind of constantly uprooting vines and planting younger ones that were higher yielding. So I imagine it's pretty uncommon to find vines that are that old. Yes, it is, and also the vineyard itself. When you go through, uh, it's not there's one plant, there's two missing, and one. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's. Um, it's really, um, really unique and uniform as a variety, so not too much uh, other varieties inside the oh, inside sure. the inside the, the vineyard. 
The, actually, it's really nice over there. This vineyard is at about uh, 320 meters of altitude, so it's the highest one we, we work with. Yeah. Uh, it's in between the Balkan, the Stara Planina, mm -hmm. and another mountain. And there is a river nearby. So all this uh, positionment creates a really nice microclimate that yeah. protects and influences the, the, the grapes and the plants. But actually. preserve a lot of that freshness that you want in this wine. Uh, preserve the freshness uh, doesn't uh, let the cold to come from the north mm -hmm. and the heat to come from the south because usually around Plovdiv region is very hot area. So um, in, in the summer the temperatures are quite lower than uh, we usually have in Plovdiv, so no more than 32, 35 degrees. Yeah. And in comparison in Plovdiv we can get to 42, 43. Yeah. So it's not burning. And about the, the variety, the Misket Cherven, so the grapes are growing are going red during the maturation process. And that's why they call it red actually. Yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. The, the side which is exposed in the sun, it's getting really red, as so ripe as it gets. So like, as it's red. like Pinot Grigio. Yeah, yeah more or yeah, less. Yeah, and yeah. close to Gewürztraminer as well. Oh interesting. And uh, it's a yeah. it's a very aromatic grape um, Yes, uh, it is. Actually, the, the misket word. Uh -huh. uh, in Bulgaria, we have a lot of miskets, a lot of variety that's named, uh, that hold the name misket. But the red misket is the most ancient one. So it's the, the DNA analysis shows that there is nothing uh, to relay. Does to, misket mean yeah. anything in Bulgarian? Misket, it, it, comes, from, uh, it comes from the perfumery, the, the, oh, okay. that musk. That yeah, yeah, yeah. They it's, use like, uh, it's like a, I mean, Gewürz is spiced in German. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. and uh, that's why they call it Miskit yeah. because it's very aromatic. Oh, very cool. And it's kind of fun to taste. So I haven't tried this bottle in a while. This is a 2020, and I find that very aromatic wines like this, they, um, the aromas are the first thing to kind of fall out. Um, uh, and tasting the new vintage of this wine, I imagine it will be really bright and floral. This, this has lost that. Um, but it's still really fun because uh, it's taken on a very different texture um, than than it had when it was when it was younger, and and I love that transition for the sake of, of wines like this when they're able to you know kind of manage that evolution um, because it's a little weightier and it has this great um, uh, kind of saltiness um, yeah, on, yeah, the, on the back end. It's uh, it, at the moment it tastes quite mineral, yeah, at yeah, the yeah. Nose and saltiness. Uh, so so uh, is also. A tricky variety. It's a late ripening variety. We do harvest here like in end of uh, September, uh, but it's really low alcohol at that time. Do you twelve? Do you worry about um, you know late rain or anything? Most times, do you get a lot of rain during harvest typically. In, yeah, in, in some years, yeah. yeah. But in um, let's say la last two years, there is a pretty dry yeah. uh, vintages, so uh, no problems with the variety. So here we are. What we are trying to to work more on an aromatic part and we are and we are thinking that in the next vintages we need to harvest uh, l even later than this yeah. one to get more and more aromas and to get into this line more uh, as a kivutstramina style yeah I, uh, we think that this could work pretty well with this variety because uh, at the moment we have like a four four vintages experience yeah so so it's each vintage we are thinking some we're seeing something new from the variety and getting more and more experience with it. 
And the, yeah, the wines, you know, I think in the way that you're making them, they're not fixed. You know, they're, they're evolving, and you're kind of developing a relationship with these grapes. It's, it's yeah. very, I find it's very different than regions where there is, you know, there's a long history of winemaking in Bulgaria, but in terms of modern winemaking, it, it's much younger. And, and so um, you're kind of figuring a lot of these things out as you go on. Uh, yeah, uh, we... So here, uh, we were the first two vintages. We we do uh, we did close the wines with uh, cork, and then 2021 we switched to screw cap. 2022 will be as well uh, screw capped because we we think that it will preserve more aromas. And the freshness, yeah, yeah, and the freshness for a long um, time. Do you um, uh, press this directly um, uh, off the skins? Do you give it? A a little bit of time on the skins to enhance some of the aromatics, or so the, how is the winemaking handled? Twenty twenty is uh, direct pressing yep. basically, we, well, because it's aromatic variety, yep. and we we were just uh, trying to keep uh, to keep the acidity as as much as we can. Yeah, yeah. So so direct pressing drain the juice immediately, and then start the fermentation. The interesting part with this. Uh, Wine is that we do age the wine on the on the on the lease after fermentation is done. Yeah, we do age for three months. Uh, no sulfites at that time. We do uh, quite often stirrings. So mm-hmm. like like uh, each third day, uh, we do decide this by tasting during the the, the vintage. Yeah. When, when how often to be and when to stop. So so because after the um, the fermentation is done, that we got the aromatic part of the of the wine. But on the palate is is quite flat. Yeah. So we need to to get as much structure and uh, body from the lease. You want more texture. Can. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah, want yeah. more texture. And that's why we're making that. It reminds me a little bit. There's a, a Greek grape called Moscofilero. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's from uh, Montanian in uh, the Peloponnese, and it, it also, um, as it ripens, takes on this kind of pink uh, uh, color and. Um, is is very aromatic and people work with it in a lot of different ways so I think kind of the fun thing about a grape like this is that it creates a lot of possibilities uh, for yes. different expressions of, of the wine yeah uh, we do as well actually from the from the misket uh, we're having another label uh, we're making some orange wine orange yeah. base wine and uh, another pet nut so it's really really two different winemaking uh, Strategies approaches, and yeah. yeah, approaches, and the wines are completely different from one to another. Yeah. Actually, so yeah, no, that's that's, that's exciting, and um, you know, uh, I feel like uh, it, it's fun to have those options. You know, it's it's fun to you know have this source material that gives itself lends itself to a lot of different. Uh, yes, uh, yes, it's really fun, and actually, in the past vintage, we we bought some kind of uh, stainless steel barrels, mm-hmm. three hundred liters each, and we vinify inside the, the red misket. We bought them especially for the red misket and give us a completely different direction. So it's third completely different direction while vinified, vinified inside those barrels. Oh, we will, Yeah, we will develop it, but we will see how, how it will go in the stainless future. Stainless steel barrels as opposed yes. to tanks? Yeah, stainless steel barrels, 300 liters yeah. each. Oh, Peter found some drawings. Oh, fun. <laughs> No, I was working with this type of uh, with this type of barrels in Austria. Oh yeah. Uh, together with Martin Andoffer, he was using this type of barrels for uh, Riesling, so for some field plants. So yeah, all yeah. the results was really good. So 
uh, we decided that it could work pretty well with the Red Mist Cat. So we we ordered a few. So uh, the the results were really good. So we will get more. Uh, so a, a big question here. Uh, one of my favorite things about the wine world is that it is as international as 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 it is. You know, so you know you all come from Bulgaria, which until you know 1990, 91 was was essentially you know more closed off to to the outside world and. Um, you know, you represent this generation that has had the opportunity to travel more broadly and um, visit corners of the world like Washington State, New Zealand, and, and Austria. Um, but you came home uh, at, at the end of the day to, to make wine. Um, so it's kind of like a two-part question. Uh, uh, why did you come home? And, um, and, you know, how did your sense of Bulgaria and Bulgarian wine change when you, when you did ultimately come home? For me, uh, traveling is always um, really fun and interesting part, but Bulgaria is my home. Yeah. So, so my family is there, so uh, this is my place. Yeah. And the, the other part is like, uh, yeah, we, we do um, teach ourselves, we do educate it uh, by traveling, by tasting, by seeing different uh, uh, wine techniques. But at the end, we need to 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 follow the line and to grow the Bulgarian winemaking. So we need to use our skills for the native grape varieties and to develop winemaking there. What is special about Bulgaria as a winemaking zone? Let's say that it's uh, it's it's our home. It's our place. Yeah. Yeah. So. We want to develop it, and we want uh, the world to hear about Bulgaria. Yeah, yeah actually, uh, as you mentioned, Bulgaria has a really big traditions in winemaking. So uh, with all the traveling I made, I didn't uh, didn't go to big wine regions. So uh, Washington State, yes, but Malta was not so um, popular for winemaking. And then I was working in China, which is not so popular for winemaking as well. What was that like? It was fun. Yeah? It was fun, yeah. Yeah. And most of, were you in Western China? Uh, Eastern China. Oh, Eastern, interesting. Yeah, Yantai and uh, Yantai area, Shandong province. Uh, but once in a while, once you taste the wines from China, from Malta, and from Bulgaria, you see a completely different. So it's much more makes sense for me to make good wines in Bulgaria yeah. and try to develop my country instead yeah. of trying to develop uh, someone else's country. Yeah. How did the two of you decide to make wine together? It was a one-hour conversation, and then we were, <laughs> we were sure that... So it was, we, it, was, it was love at first sight? Uh, more or less, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we met at the, one of the... We were doing internship in Bulgaria, so we met at one of the wineries there. Uh-huh. And then at some point, we, we had a quick conversation, and then we, we said, okay, let's start to doing it. It was easy. I mean, not a lot of uh, negotiations. So, so. You, were, you, were, you were single-minded. Uh, from, from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Um, no, we do have lots of um, uh, things. We do things differently, but at yeah. the end, we, uh, that's the good thing because everybody have a different opinion. Uh, yeah. But at the end, we are yeah, getting close and seeing, yeah. uh, looking at one point. Yeah, once we have the common goal, uh, no matter how things are happening, yeah. 
they we make them happen actually. And do you feel like you kind of operate with a common understanding now as you're making wine, or you know when you're just making decisions throughout, you know harvest throughout the the winemaking process, do you still kind of you know find yourself talking things out? I think bit of both. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. Uh, we we are we are making a kind of a long term plan. Yeah. But then when the harvest starts, uh, you need to take some lots of n not some but lots of decision. Yeah. Uh, last time, lots of things are changing, so we do it both of parts. Yeah, yeah. Your question, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's a there's a lot of trust there, you know, for the sake of, you know, um, one partner trusting the other to execute, um, you know, vision in a particular way and, and make a set of decisions that, you know, especially during harvest, can only be made, um, you know, by the person on the crush pad. Yeah. There you go. No, <laughs> no horror stories, no, uh, you know, um, brawls or anything along those lines uh, uh, over, you know, individual uh, wines. We, uh, each vintage, we're trying to, to, to make some uh, new experiment. Yeah. So, so uh, this course we're doing, let's say, in the beginning of uh, vintage because we are seeing where the grapes are getting to. Yeah. Uh, but we are trying to to focus on uh, on our philosophy to to seek as much more wines to be produced on a natural side at much low intervention as we could. Uh, but also each year we were, um, yeah, we should do this. Let's try this. Let's experiment with uh, some 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 other way of working. Some let's do 20% uh, just distinct uh, grapes, then add some crush. So we try to use our skills as as much as we can and to find the, the diversity of each grape variety. Brilliant. Uh, so I have a bit of verse and then a couple questions to close things out. So this is from, uh, this is actually a poem that we're featuring uh, currently as part of our um, emphasis on Balkan wine at Tale of Goat. But uh, it comes from a Bulgarian poet and um, politician, actually. She was uh, briefly vice president of Bulgaria, uh, Blaga Dimitrova. Um, translation from Ludmila uh, Pavlova-Whitement. Uh, the poem is called Butterfly on a Pen. You don't know real loneliness if you don't know closeness. The road to great solitude passes through great love. A measure of the immense horizon of loneliness is the embrace from which you extricate yourself. Imagine how many times the narrow circle of this embrace fits into the cosmic circle of loneliness. You are impaled exactly in the center, a live butterfly on a pen. Wrench yourself out. Try to fly with the pin piercing your heart. The space confronting you is boundless. Freedom has a salty taste of sea and solitude. Uh, thank you again for joining us, gentlemen. Uh, uh, final question here. Um, you know, have you traveled to Washington before? I understand this is your, your first time here? No, no it's first time. For yeah, sure? for me, it's um, first time, time in Washington, Washington in the US as well. Uh, do you have any impressions of uh, the states from your first visit? I think it's uh, Washington is really a nice place to live. Yeah. Yeah. We also did a day in New York. There is a really, really it's a huge city. Impre I'm impressed, but it's a really busy town as well. So here's, I think it's a more. It's a little more approachable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here is a little bit more calm. It's as Peter said, it's a really nice place to live. Yeah. Actually, it looks pretty much like. Uh, some places in Europe, but much more um, big, let's say. The distance are much bigger. Well, and then, I mean, so the DC was modeled after, streets were modeled after Paris to some extent. It's not quite as 
beautiful as Paris, but uh, the whole idea of like wide boulevards and this, you know, planned out grid. Um, the gentleman that designed the, the, the street plan here, um, L'Enfant, he modeled it after these wide Parisian uh, uh, boulevards. So, you know, it's, it's meant to evoke, you know, that, um, you know, sense of grandeur, but it is a nice city for the sake of the amount of parkland that we have. And, um, you know, it doesn't have the energy of New York, but it, it's, it's a little easier too. Yeah, and people are really, really open. They, all the tasting that we, we, oh, we did, they're really open to taste the wines and to to enjoy them. Yeah, so which is which was really really good part from our yeah, visit. I'm thrilled to hear that. My my final question was, you know, what would you like people to know about, um, you know, Bulgarian wine, uh, your wines that you feel like they don't already. Well, for for me. Uh, the best thing will be people to grab a bottle of Bulgarian wine mm -hmm. and to know that they can rely on it and it's a good one. And uh, yeah, and the Georgiev Milkov project is something that uh, it's sustainable in quality and you can, uh, you can get easily here in this city. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and also that Bulgaria is a work in progress, so people should uh, try as much Bulgarian wine, wines as they could, uh, because they could uh, see how the Bulgarian wine business is evolving. Yeah, no, that, yeah. that's exciting. Um, yeah. And uh, I love that about emerging regions, that uh, there is this thrill um, that comes with discovering something. Yeah. Uh, from an uh, from an unfamiliar place and yeah, exactly. um, especially a place like Bulgaria that is and Bulgaria is exotic at the moment for <laughs> most of the people so, yeah, so. Yeah. does it does it feel exotic to you uh, for me not <laughs> but, but for for the for the all the world is kind of exotic yeah, yeah each place that we've traveled so that people don't know a lot about the the Bulgarian winemaking and Bulgaria at all but things will change soon we hope yeah, and we work in that uh, direction, actually. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the, that big gap that we had between the communism and uh, the situation right now uh, doesn't help. But uh, we are working to to make it popular again. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it has created opportunities for you to work with the kind of small growers that you work with and, you know, become champions of, you know, these underappreciated uh, local grapes. So... Um, I think that's really exciting. Yeah, exactly. It's a win-win yeah. situation, yeah. probably. Yeah, yeah. We found that, um, let's say, on our third or fourth year, that it's a win-win situation because Bulgarian varieties are not well-known. So, so people are uh, getting a bottle, and uh, if they're happy with the, the wine, they will continue seeking some, some other new varieties. So, yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, Pedro Arado. Um, Thanks for having us. Of course. Uh, thank thank you. you all for listening. Um, particularly for the sake of this one, uh, please, please uh, seek out these wines. Um, we're sitting here uh, equally with uh, Natalia uh, Georgieva um, of Bohemish Wines, uh, who imports these offerings uh, and uh, is kind of uh, broadening her imprint throughout the country, hopefully, and we will certainly have uh, both uh, new vintages of the Red Muscat and the Reuben available for sale at Revelers Hour. If you're not in the Washington area, uh, seek them out online. Uh, thank you, as ever, uh, for listening. Uh, stay thirsty and stay tuned for more of The Universe in a Glass.